We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. As we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading in, uh, through verses 25 through 34. So Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. So I'd ask that you would all stand with me. Not that it does anything, but it just is a, is a recognition of what we're doing is reading from God's holy word. I'm going to say a lot of things today, but ultimately it's rooted in God's word and that which we want to give first priority to. So let's read from Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day, for the day is its own trouble. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we gather here as your children, just seeking you, needing to hear from you. So I ask that you would open up your word to us this morning, that you, that your spirit would allow us to see things in our lives, to be able to, to, to understand the freedom that is offered to us in Christ, the freedom from worry and anxiety that can grip our, our hearts so easily. So I just pray that we would be a people is willing to listen to these things, is willing to submit our life and our will to you and your kingdom and your purposes. So I just pray that you would, you would guide my words this morning and let your word go forth and accomplish your purposes. We look to you, Father. We love you. We thank you for the gift of our salvation in Jesus, that which ultimately secures our hope and drives away all fears. So we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Two of the things that, uh, that my wife greatly dislikes in life are thunderstorms and isolation. I, on the other hand, actually really enjoy some time alone and uh, a good thunderstorm. And so uh, in the first year of our marriage, uh, me being just a, a loving husband, felt like I needed to help her learn to appreciate these things. And so I, uh, I planned for her birthday to take her on a, on a backpacking trip. And so I took her on an overnight backpacking trip down in uh, the San Juan Mountains of southwestern Colorado. Just a beautiful area. And uh, it wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't too intense. We just we went in like three, or five, three to five miles, something like that, in and, uh, and backpacked in 
found this beautiful meadow to set up camp, and it, it was gorgeous. We were the only ones there. There was nobody else around, just the beautiful mountains there. It was great. And she was doing awesome. We, we settled in. We had a, had, a, had a nice meal. We're sitting there in the evening. We see a coyote come down into the valley way off in the distance. But then as the evening kind of sets in, you know, my wife, unbeknownst to me, is actually getting a little nervous, just that eerie isolation of the mountains. And then, as it often does in uh, the evening in the mountains, this huge thunderstorm just rolled in out of nowhere. And it just started crashing all around us. The skies opened up and just started pouring down on us. But I had a great, t- I had a nice little good backpacking tent, and so we, we got in the tent, and, and we're safe there, and it's, just, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying this, just the, the raw power of nature and just enjoying that time, and so we're, we're, we're in the tent just, just kind of waiting it out, and we're, we're, I think we're, we're safe and doing good, but uh, my wife, actually, as, as this storm goes on, as the thunder's crashing around, she is slowly starting to freak out, basically. And it uh, gets to the point at the height of the storm where, where the rain is just pounding the tent. It's a really small kind of two-person tent. She's kind of claustrophobic, and she just can't handle it anymore. And she's like, I got to get out of here. We have to hike back to the, to the car right now. We just need to get out. And me, I, I didn't know what to do at that point, being all six months married and not knowing. So me being a loving husband, all I could do is I grabbed her face, and I said, you got to get a hold of yourself. <laughs> we can't go out in the storm. We have to stay here. We're fine in the tent. I don't know if it actually made her feel any better, but we did get through the night. The storm passed, and I slept really good that night. She might have got a couple hours, but uh, we made it through, and it was, it was a great, great memory. And uh, in case you're, you're all questioning my, my great uh, husbandly uh, decisions, uh, I did end up taking her to a nice bed and breakfast the next night uh, to kind of make up for things. But uh, it was a great trip. But here, here in this passage, Jesus is kind of coming up to us and grabbing us by the face and saying to us and calling out to us, stop worrying. Three times in this passage, very explicitly, he says, do not be anxious. Stop worrying. He's calling us in this passage to the freedom from the crippling effect of worry that we experience in our lives. And isn't that not something that you desire? You know, when we think of worry, when we define it, you know, it's this, this state of uncertainty over actual or even potential problems. It's this giving way to unease to allow our minds to dwell on difficulty and troubles, even things that haven't yet happened or may not even happen. It's rooted in this intense, excessive, and persistent fear about everyday situations. Do you struggle with worry or anxiety? And Maybe that's an unnecessary rhetorical question because the reality is all of us to one degree or another, in some ways, battle worry. Life provides us much to worry about, doesn't it? may worry about our financial situation, whether we can actually make it in this economy. As house prices keep rising and going through the roof, will we ever be able to find a home here, be able to save up for a down payment? For some, it's your, your work that makes you anxious. Is this even the right field that I should be in? 
Is this, this company that, I, that I've poured everything into going to make it? Will I ever learn, earn a salary that I, can, that I can actually live on and support my family? You know, our, our kids give us, give us plenty to worry about, right? And then in the area of parenting, we're, we're constantly worrying about whether we're, we're being too strict on our kids or whether we're being too lenient on them. We go back and forth. I think we're all well aware of kind of the, the rampant struggle and, and, and growing issue of, of anxiety rooted with cons- the consumption of social media, especially in, in, in young people. With suicide rates going through the roof, rooted to, to the anxiety that's bound up with, with kids just going through school. You know, many here maybe are anxious about a recent medical diagnosis or worried about even finding answers to ongoing health struggles. Many of us just get stressed out about how, how busy we feel, how, how, how we're going to get everything done. I mean, that's, that's where I've been. I just keep telling my wife all summer long, well, just keep adding it to the list. Add another thing to the list. As soon as I try to get the house almost remodeled, another fence post breaks and starts falling down. There's always, there's always something else that is on our minds that we're, that we're worried about how to get it done. So then we start worrying about how, how we're going to fit in some vacation time or get away to go camping because we, we, start, we, we worry about getting away so we can try to get away from worrying. But then uh, things just continue to pile up. As soon as you get back from a vacation, you feel almost more worried because you're behind on all the things that you tried to forget about in the last little bit of time. How many of you have spent all day working hard to try to address so many of the things that you're concerned about, that you're worried about, and you feel so tired at the end of the day only to lay down to try to get some sleep, and yet your mind will not shut off, and it just continues to just churn over new things that flood in, things that that make us anxious. See, we understand worry, right? We're well acquainted with anxiety. I could go on and on, but, but, but we understand it. Um, studies have shown that anxiety or disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting around 40 million adults. It's almost one in five from, from statistics. And what's interesting is that studies continue to show that it's actually wealthier countries or wealthier areas of society where, where these, these disorders are actually present. So it's not merely just tied to kind of our financial situation and basic needs. And let me just say that I, I, I'm not trying to, to argue today that, uh, that all forms of anxiety are simply related, related to some kind of spiritual thing, that there aren't real physical struggles, there aren't real chemical imbalances I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to speak from a medical perspective. I, I don't expect today to be like the, uh, the Babylon Bee article that was posted a while back. You guys familiar with the Babylon Bee? It's this Christian satirical news outlet. And they had a headline that read, Man instantly cured of clinical depression after friend shows him Bible verse about anxiety being a sin. Right? Like, I, I, I don't want this passage just to be like, Hey, Jesus just says don't worry, so hey, let's just... Not worry. There it is. That solves it all. Like this, this is complex. This is, this is challenging. We understand, though, that worry is a serious struggle that we can all in some way relate to. But we do need to give attention to Jesus' words here and how he connects our struggles with worry and anxiety with the spiritual battle in our hearts. 
I'm not trying to minimize your worries either. I don't think that, that, that many of us in here are probably worried and, and all stressed out and anxious about the government phone tapping Alexa in your house or, or these, these outrageous, you know, conspiracy theories. Like, like we, we're wrestling through, like, real-life concerns, like, like whether a loved one's going to live and whether our kids are going to actually come to faith. Like, they're, they're real struggles, things that are, that are weighty. So I don't want this to minimize those, those concerns. But Jesus here is confronting us with how we emotionally approach those concerns. And he's, con- and he's challenging us ultimately to be concerned with the right things. And so here in this section of this sermon, this sermon in which Jesus has been inviting all of us to, to find a life of fullness and a life of flourishing that is offered to those who embrace His kingdom. Here, He offers us the freedom from worry. And He commands us over and over again to not be anxious. But as we look at this passage, we we must remember the immediate context. This 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 is an ongoing argument. This unit is connected to and related to the previous section that Chad preached last week on the pursuit of treasures. And if you haven't listened to that, if you missed last week, I'd, I'd encourage you go and listen to Chad's sermon. He just did a great job of unpacking just the, 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 this struggle that we, that we have with, with where do we store up our treasures? What is our ultimate desire? And so this is very much tied to and connected to and flows from what Chad unpacked last week for us. Verse 25 begins with the word, therefore. And I think we're all pretty good at English. We understand that, that that's a connecting word going back through. It could be translated as because of this. In light of the things that he has just said, he then goes on to appeal to us in this way. What does verse 24 say? It said, as Chad unpacked, he said, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. So ultimately, this battle against anxiety begins with the question of which master are you going to serve? Anxiety is is often a byproduct of submitting to the wrong master. So Jesus is saying that he has been pleading with us to not invest in earthly treasures. And it does, it's not that he just wants us to be poor, but he wants to, us to invest our treasures in the right place where we will get a far greater return. And so he's saying, so now even as, as I've called you to do this, to this extreme way of living, he says, now, even for your most basic needs, will you trust me? Don't worry, I've got you. And Jesus isn't offering us just this empty call, kind of like the, the classic song, don't worry, be happy, as if you kind of got to just, just ignore it and just choose to kind of turn the frown upside down and, and, uh, and be happy. But he's calling us to believe in something greater than what we can see. And so as we walk through this passage, we're going to see these three realities that Jesus wants us to believe that should reshape the way that we view anxiety. And so these three simple points are going to be the devaluing effect of worry, the misguided effort of worry, and the freeing embrace of God's kingdom. 
And I'm sorry I didn't alliterate those for you. It's just not something I wanted to worry about today. So that was for you, Joey. <laughs> didn't work. Anyway, number one, the devaluing effect of worry. Jesus uses two examples to show the ways that we are not to worry. He says, don't worry about your life and don't worry about your body. And then he goes on to explain what he means. But he he says, don't worry about your life, namely what you will eat or drink, your your basic sustenance. And then don't worry about your body, what you will wear, or more clearly your, your appearance. And he offers then this rhetorical question that supports this call. He says, is not life more than food? and body more than clothing. He says there are more important things to, to, to be concerned about than what you are consumed by. You see, worry is tied to our, our concern over things, right? And Jesus wants us to be concerned about the right things. He's not calling us to ignore the fact that we, we need basic things like food and clothing. But he's telling us not to place it as our ultimate concern so that our fear of not having these things or missing out on something uh, begins to consume us. And aren't we prone to worry about lesser things? Right? We see this in all different aspects of life, right? Especially in the area of parenting. Right? Depending on what season or stage of life you're in, those who are older or more experienced tend to view those younger and less experienced as, as always worrying about like insignificant things, right? You know, you, t- you take first-time parents, for instance. What are their concerns? It's like, oh, is this kid ever going to sleep? Are they pooping enough? Like, like, you count how many times they poop early on to try to make sure that's right. Like, that's, that's the thing if you don't have kids. Like, like are they pooping enough? Uh, you know, they have a fever. Should I rush them to the ER? You have the, all these concerns. You're, you're checking on them at night. Are they, are they still breathing? But if you have, you know, two, three, four kids, you know, with our fourth kid, now it's kind of like, as long as they're not playing in the street or drinking weird stuff from under the sink, like, we're doing pretty good. And so we just have lesser concerns. And, and those who are older parents, are, they get that. And then, you know, but then for us, like, we got, we got real problems coming up. My kid's in elementary school, and it's like, is he going to learn to read? Is he, is he going to actually make friends? Um, you know, should I let him watch this, this TV show? Or how much, you know, screen time is right? And uh, this is stressful. But then if there's older parents in here, you know, those, those who have kids maybe in, you know, college, high school, or even left the house. You're sitting there kind of like, oh, just wait. Just wait till uh, it, gets, it gets real difficult later on. Those days are so easy. But now the real problems are there. And we, we do that in all different aspects of life, right? We all think that our problems are the biggest until we, we get on to the next. There's bigger problems. And Jesus is kind of like that older, wise person saying, you're all so worried about things that just don't matter that much. And here's why. I'm going to show you why you shouldn't be so concerned about these basic needs. And it's interesting how he does tie it to kind of food and drink because you would think, well, of all the things, like, you should be worried at least about just how you're going to survive. But Jesus actually calls us and says, even your most basic needs shouldn't be that which causes you such anxiety and distress. And here is why. And his argument is simple the question of, do you know the value that God places on you? 
He ultimately says, your life is too valuable to worry about your sustenance. And he gives this example. He says, look at the birds. I've never been much of a bird watcher, never really noticed them a whole lot. So, but this week, in light of this, I've been looking at birds and checking them out. And uh, yeah, um, they, Jesus says, they don't plant gardens, they don't harvest crops, they don't store food in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you think about it, like when you see birds, like they don't seem stressed out, worried about what they're going to eat. They just fly around and do their thing, and they find food. And Jesus' point is not ultimately the, the feeding habits of birds, but it's what he says next, where he says, are you not of more value than the birds? Jesus is calling us to remember that we are the pinnacle of his creation, those made in his image, the ones whom he created to have a relationship with, were far more valuable than the birds. So Jesus' argument is from lesser to greater. It says, if you look out and you see that your father feeds and provides for the birds which are of lesser value, will he not make certain to care for you? It's a great argument. And likely no one here is, is worried about necessarily having enough to eat, as some in the crowd likely would have been experiencing that. But don't we, we get worried in the same area a little bit in different ways. You know, some of you maybe are just contemplating where you're going to go to lunch today. Is it a, is it a Mexicali day or a La Luz day? And just concerned about where you're going to eat. But then others, maybe it's like, man, should I start this new diet? Should I eliminate this food? Am I eating too many carbs, too much red meat, not enough protein? Maybe intermittent fasting is the ticket. And I'm not trying to criticize any of those things. Nutrition or health are good things to, to think about, to be aware of. But Jesus is using that basic life experience as an illustration, an example, to show us how we get worried and stressed out and concerned about things that we don't need to. Because ultimately, he says, your life is too valuable. God will take care of you. So don't think that you have to have it all figured out. He then also says, life is more important than your appearance. He says, why worry about your clothing? And then he uses another example where he says, have you ever thought about the flowers? They don't do any work, but they just grow. And guess what? He says, the best dressed, most stylistic person, even King Solomon, looked ragged next to a beautiful, freshly bloomed flower. And one of my favorite places is uh, over on the uh, western slope outside the city of Grand Junction where I grew up, up on the Grand Mesa. It's this huge flat top mountain. You go up there uh, in, the, in the springtime and you can just see these, these, these fields when you go up there. There's all these lakes and uh, there's just the, these areas where just wildflowers will just, will just bloom everywhere. And it's just beautiful. And you just think like, like how many flowers pop up and grow all over the place, all over the world, and how few of them actually are ever even seen by anybody. This is Jesus' point, is that God, as he designed, intricately painted all of these flowers, each petal in its beauty and glory that just pops up and sprouts up and then just as quickly passes away, maybe without ever being noticed. It says if God went through all that effort, invested all that time to, to do that with the flowers that are here today, gone tomorrow, how do you think he's going to take care of you? You think he's going to forget about you? 
This is Jesus' argument. Jesus sees you as far more valuable than the birds or the flowers, and he will take care of you. Then he has this, this statement, he says, oh, if you have little faith, and it's not necessarily this hard rebuke, but just this, this soft, challenging, like, why don't you trust me? Because if you don't believe this, then you've greatly undervalued yourself in God's eyes. And if God declares our value, then we don't actually have to worry about establishing our value before others. And to use Jesus' example, by what we wear or our appearance. So how many times did you look in the mirror this morning? How many times did you change your outfit? How many times have you compared yourself to others since you've been here? How many times did you retake the last selfie that you posted? How much have you spent on your wardrobe this year? How many likes on your post will it take for you to feel validated? How many times do you worry about how you look and how other people see you, how you've interacted and whether people thought a certain thing about you? Are you often anxious about those things, and do you gauge your worth on how many compliments you receive, or do you think that your value is increased because of the logo that's stitched into your clothing? Jesus says these things are of such little significance because He determines and has declared our value. And these are just two examples, but Jesus could then also say to us, don't worry about where you live and whether your house is big enough. Don't worry about what you will drive, even if it's an old, beat-up minivan. Don't worry about where you will work. Don't worry about how many kids you will have. Don't worry about when you will get married. Because is not your life worth more than all of these things in God's eyes? Didn't he love you so much that he set his affection on you? That he, that he called you, that he, he laid down his life in your place to rescue you, to make you his child. So do you think that he's going to go through all of that and then forget about you now? See, when, when anxiety and worry overtake us, we, we're called to remember even what Paul wrote to the Philippian church where he said, don't be anxious about anything, but rather in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when worry and anxiety overtake us, we're called to, to look to our Father, to call out to Him, to know that He has not forgotten us, and He knows how to take care of us. So Jesus first says, don't give in to the devaluing effect of worry. But then he goes on to describe to us and show us the misguided effort of worry. There's two ways that he shows that worry is misguided. He says, first, it is a futile pursuit. In verse 27, he asks the simple question. He says, can you by being anxious, add time to your life. Some of you may have a footnote in your Bible or a, an older translation that would read, add a cubit to his stature. And so th this is, could possibly read, 
can you make yourself taller by worrying? But there's likely an idiom going on here that's actually describing kind of adding another day to your life. And so it's a simple question that we all know, right? Jesus is telling us worry doesn't help anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't change anything. But when you read this, aren't you kind of like, I know this. I get that. You know, one of the things that like never helps, like when my wife is worried about something, is for me to go up to her and say, hey, babe, don't worry, it'll be fine. Or, hey, you just need to relax. Worry won't change everything. Like if I say those things to her, she never responds with like, babe, thank you so much. You are so smart. You're so wise. Like, like I've been worrying and then like you just, I, and it doesn't, you just told me it doesn't do anything. Like that, it's fixed. Like it doesn't work like that. Like, like, like none of us sits around worrying because we think we can like change things or because we, we think it's actually going to do anything. None of us thinks that if we just worry more, then maybe the thing won't happen. So what's the difference between the way that I tell my wife those things and what Jesus tells us here? Well, when we were in that tent, in the thunderstorm, and I said, hey, babe, it's going to be fine, didn't give a lot of confidence to her because guess what? She knows I can't control the weather. I can't do anything about this storm. But when Jesus says to us, hey, you can't do anything about it. I know how long your life is. I've determined it for you. Jesus is actually the one who can calm the storm. So we see in the life with his disciples, right, when they're in the boat, and and they're freaked out, they're stressed out, but he's like sleeping. And they're all like, what are you doing? Why why are you doing this? Why why, aren't you going to, don't you even care about us? And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. And he, and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. Like, I can, cal- I can calm the storm, and he shows them. So when Jesus tells us, don't worry, what, G- what makes his words so powerful here is that he's calling us not to just, just believe in some kind of, you know, random hope that, um, I guess we'll survive this thunderstorm, but he's calling us to relinquish control of our lives to him because he can handle it. And our anxiety is so often rooted in our deep fears of either losing something or not getting what we desire, and often worry then becomes a mechanism for us to, to kind of prepare ourselves for that loss or, 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 or that idea of missing out on something. But if we can give up control and then embrace whatever it is that God chooses to give to us, then that leaves no place for worry Because our uncertainty is actually replaced by a deep confidence in God. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. It has been said that worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. And so often it's worry, either about what has happened or what might happen, that actually leaves us frozen and unable to actually move forward with anything that actually God wants us to invest in. So the question is, you know, what, what do you need to give up? What do you need to recognize in your life that you don't ultimately have control over? Where do you need to recognize that your anxiety is actually a war against the sovereignty of God? 
The next way he shows that this is a misguided practice is that he says this is a pagan pursuit. He says that the Gentiles seek after these things. Verse 32, the Gentiles seek after these things, namely what they're going to eat, their, their food and their, their, their drink and their, their clothing. So it, and when, he, when he says Gentiles, he's speaking of those at this, this juncture of kind of redemptive history, those outside of the kingdom. At this point, Gentiles had not fully been, been brought in. So he's speaking of those non-believers, those not part of God's kingdom. And he says it's those outside who seek these things, namely food, drink, and clothing. Or whatever meaning you actually want to attach to those things, whether it be safety, luxury, pleasure, status, or recognition. You know, it's those outside the kingdom who store up treasures and invest in this world. So again, he's confronting us with this idea of, of, our, of our master. What rules our heart? Which kingdom values do we actually submit to? He says to be concerned and worried about the simple things of this life is to declare and show where the allegiances of our heart lie. So worry is this misguided pursuit. It's a path that clings to control over our lives and a declaration that our hearts belong still to this world. But Jesus then concludes, not just with this mere prohibition, but he also gives us this offer. And he concludes with this declaration, this reality of the freeing embrace of God's kingdom. This is something that we've been unpacking and seeing how he's revealing throughout this Sermon on the Mount, this, this idea of God's kingdom and the life of fullness that is offered in it. And here he's saying that it offers this freeing embrace. So he gives three statements that, that reveal this. The first, he says, is remember your father. Again, he repeats this, this idea. At the end of verse 32, he says, remember and know that your father knows what you need. Again, do you think that he doesn't remember you? Are you here just, just wondering if God has actually forgotten about you? If he's, if he's left you to just suffer? That God doesn't know what you need. Do you think you know better than God? And that God is withholding something from you? And Jesus is saying he hasn't abandoned you, but he is fully aware so you can stop stressing out and you can actually trust him. And God knows our needs better than we do. And this is something we constantly struggle with. We have to remember that what we want we often turn into kind of a need and think that God is keeping something from us. But if you have kids, you know that this happens all the time. Like, my kids want popsicles and fruit snacks all day long. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but I know as their father, that's not best for you. That's not what you need. Sometimes we struggle because we don't actually believe that God knows what we need. Jesus says, remember your father. He is a good father who will care for you. In a, in a, in a week or two, we're going to look at this passage in the next chapter that, that says, like, if, if you ask God for, 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 for bread, do you think he's going to give you a rock? Like, God knows what we need. He, he's, he's a good father that we, can, that we can trust in. 
The second step to this freeing embrace of God's kingdom is this aspect of that we need to evaluate our priorities. You have to evaluate your priorities. And he says it with this well-known passage where he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So there it is. This is this great verse that we can quote, that we can say. And you may, you may read a passage like this, hear a passage like this and say, yeah, I, I agree. Jesus is absolutely right. Like, I, I worry too much. I, I stress out about things that I shouldn't. Um, you know, I, I just need to trust God more. But then at the same time, you might sit there and think, just doesn't seem to work for me. Can't figure it out. No matter how hard I try, I just, just keep worrying. Worry just takes over. I, I just can't control it. It's just always there. It's ever-present. I believe these things. Jesus is right, but I still am gripped by anxiety. I don't know how to do this. Maybe that's where you're at. Because it's easy just to agree with these things, but the reality is it's, it's still really hard. And this is where I think we, we need to further give attention to the words that are found in a place like 1 Peter chapter 5, written to a people facing very real difficulty. They're being persecuted, attacked by those around them, and Peter writes, and he says to them this, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And he says, you do this by casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And you see, we, we often try to cast off our worries at some kind of surface level, just kind of a mental exercise as a means to escape from the mere emotions of anxiety, right? Uh, just Friday night, we, I, we took our kids to go see uh, the new Lion King, um, which is, is pretty cool. They did a great job. Looks really cool. I think it was a little unnecessary. It's just kind of a repeat of the original. But uh, anyway, just my opinion. I'm not here to give a movie review. Um, what I want to get at is uh, in, in that movie, you know, we have this, the, the classic line where, you know, Simba meets Timon and Pumbaa, and they introduce him to their motto, Hakuna Matata, right? No worries. It's this idea of, hey, you know, forget everything in your past. Don't let anything in life, you know, stress you out. Just kind of ignore it and, and pursue some other thing that you want and just, just live with no worries. And what the, what the movie actually kind of shows is that that's really like, a poor way to live. Like, you actually, like Simba actually has to face everything that, that's gone on in his life. But, but we kind of try, I think, sometimes to hakuna matata our way through life and kind of call that casting our anxieties on God. Like, I'm trying to like not be anxious. I'm trying to not think about it. I'm trying to like, you know, just get rid of these things. But it just doesn't seem to work. They're just always there. But I think what Jesus is actually calling us in this passage is, is to go deeper. It's what he's been getting at in, in all of these things that we've unpacked throughout the sermon this summer, is he wants us to go deeper and call us not just to manage our emotions, but actually to surrender our deepest longings and our fears that are driving our anxieties. You see, it's not that we just can't control our emotions, but our anxieties often reveal that we have let our hearts run after the wrong treasures. He's calling us to relinquish, first and foremost, our pride. So that's why, that's why you know, 
Peter begins with, humble yourselves under the hand of God. It starts with that. To relinquish our pride and humble ourselves under the reign of Christ so that His kingdom comes first. So that His righteousness, a holistic righteousness that we can't find in and of ourselves, but that we need from Christ will will be planted within us that will cause us to long first and foremost for the kingdom of Christ. You see, at the center of anxiety, just like in the spelling of the word, at the center of anxiety is ultimately I. It's me. It's what I want. It's what I fear missing out on. It's what I long for, what I desire. And anxiety steps in because we ultimately are at the center and we can't control it. So as an alternative to worry, Jesus calls us again to reorient reorient ourselves to his kingdom. He's saying, you want to really know why you're anxious? Look at your priorities. You're stressed out because you have put your kingdom first and you are gripped by the fear of losing your reign. But if you let go of your pride, if you can embrace the kingdom of God, let him reorder your priorities, then your concerns will be completely shifted and all the things that you obsess over will be put in their proper place. And you can know that God will take care of you. And this, I think, is Jesus getting at the root of all of our worry, all of our anxiety, is that we've gotten our priorities way out of whack. And then we end up blaming God for not giving us what we think we need. And then he kind of concludes with this, this final statement, this beautiful, hopeful statement where there's this promise of daily grace. You know, see, Jesus could have ended with that, kind of this, you know, just hit us with this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He could have stopped right there. But then I think it's just, it's just grace to us. He, he adds on this final verse in verse 34, where he says, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's a verse we could put on our mirror, our car, and think of regularly. And you see, Jesus doesn't, doesn't come to us with unrealistic promises, right? He, he recognizes that life's going to be challenging, that tomorrow's going to have plenty to worry about. In a broken world, like, there's always going to be something else. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, everything's just going to be perfect and great. He says every day is going to have enough trouble for itself. But what he says is that he doesn't promise us grace for tomorrow, but for today. We're to trust him today to seek his kingdom right here, right now. And tomorrow, when it gets here, God will give us grace for that one too. This is what's laid out in Lamentations chapter 3, where it tells us the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We can create all sorts of fears of endless lists of what ifs about tomorrow. We're really good at that. But Jesus calls us to live with a view to God's kingdom today 
and trust that he will give us the grace for the troubles that tomorrow brings. So at the end of of this passage, we're we're called once again just to to evaluate what kingdom are we living for? What kingdom drives us? Are Are we living with our first priorities set towards the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Do you, do you place first within, within your priority of your schedule that which is, is, is most going to affect the kingdom? Not how you can just fill up what you desire, but actually how you can invest in others. Do you place the righteousness of God in the pursuit of God? As, as Chad just passionately appealed to us last week to make Him our absolute treasure. Like is, that, is that the first priority? When we get our priorities straight and we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, God will take care of everything else. So we don't need to worry, but we can remember, as this text tells us, to not give in to the destructive, devaluing effect of worry. Let's remember the misguided effort of worry. But let's pursue together as God's people the freeing embrace of his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so often we get off on a misguided path where we worry and stress over lesser things. And I pray that you would help us to be a people who recognizes these things in our own lives that we engage in the battle, that we don't give in to despair over the difficulty and the anxiety that we face. But let us recognize that often our worry and our anxiety reveals where our heart's treasures lie. So let us fix our eyes to you, to your kingdom. Let us trust you as a good father who knows what we need, who has valued us, who has laid down his life for us, and who has given us freedom from the grip of anxiety in our lives. We love you, Father. We thank you for this. We ask in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.